Welcome to Warrensville Reaching New Heights. I'm your host, June Scharf, and my guest today probably needs no introduction, but I'm going to give one anyway. He is Dr. R.A. Vernon, and so many of you know him as the pastor at The Word Church. He's reached so many people in this community, but he's reached others nationwide. He live streams his Sunday morning services through his website, and he has made a name for himself in the religious community as being a pastor to other pastors. And for that reason, there are pastors nationwide who seek out his counsel. Now you may feel like you know Dr. Vernon, and I'm sure you do, but after listening to this podcast, I think you're gonna feel like you know him on a different level. He is extremely honest. He shares a lot of stories relating to his childhood and how he got into the church and why he has stayed there and what the religious community does for him, how he's able to give back so much, but also fulfill his own needs. So please enjoy this conversation with Dr. Vernon. Dr. Vernon, I'm so thrilled to have you here. You are such a pillar in the community, Mm. so this is a real treat for all of us. It's a privilege to be here. Thank you for having me. For those who don't know you, you have like a super megawatt smile, and (laughs) it's infectious, and uh, maybe that's one of the keys to your success. Well, I hope so. I love people, and I'm honored to be here, and uh, this is a tremendous privilege uh, to partner with uh, anything happening in the city I love. Uh, Warrensville is where our church is planted and it's where, in a very real sense, uh, we have the most people coming to and so any impact we can have on this community is a blessing to me. Well, let's go there then. You you have, in terms of membership, mm-hmm. but I, but I want to say first, you have 30 years in the men- ministry and two yes. decades in the pastorate. Mm-hmm. How many people are in your congregation at this point? Wow, if they all show up, yes. and I'm I'm proud of this number because of God, over 40,000 people have walked down the aisle. Uh, if we still had them all, we wouldn't have enough space. <laughs> uh, but we can see anywhere between six and 10,000 people a month between all of our three campuses. And those are, you one, your main one is in Warrensville Heights in South Heights. Miles. We call that the mothership. The mothership, uh, that's okay. The, that's the big house. And then downtown uh, Cleveland. Downtown Cleveland. And where is that? And that's right on 59th and Kinsman, okay. where I was raised and went to high school. So it was important to me to have a church with persons in that area that can't catch the bus or afford an Uber, have a vehicle, can walk to church. Uh, plus, persons from the west side come there a lot, so we like it. And uh, and then, of course, uh, there is the church in Akron, our Akron campus. Is that newer? Or is that yes, back in we time? actually bought it from Akron Baptist Temple. They built a beautiful space on 30 acres, mm-hmm. uh, 2324 Manchester Road, and uh, they pretty much gave it to us for a steal. So nice. we were blessed to get it. And also, you're, you live stream your services on Sundays at 11.15. Every weekend, yeah. uh, you can watch us on Facebook Live or mm-hmm. log on. To your website, uh, and I want to mention that so um, listeners know, that's live.wordcity.org. Yep. That's the website. They'll, they'll see the feed right there. Yes. Absolutely. There are people yeah. smarter than me that can answer that question, but that yeah. sounds close. Okay, well, uh, I will tell you. Our website is wordcity.org, and from okay. there you can get everything. Okay, and I was um, 
audience to your most recent service yesterday. Oh, wow. I did need to spend some time. You looked I saw the whole thing. <laughs> I was very impressed. These services start with about 45 minutes of singing. Absolutely. And I think that what gets everyone, what is Absolutely. the strategy there? Well, the reality is, particularly in the uh, predominantly African-American church, worship is highly critical to us. Uh, we love to worship, and so we invite the presence of God in with singing mm -hmm. and uh, praise, and it sort of sets the framework, and by the time I get up, the presence of God is already in there, and I just get up and give the message of Christ uh, in a relevant way, whether it's about your money, uh, who you're sleeping with, want to sleep with, what does mm -hmm. God say about that, raising your children, uh, your health. Uh, what happens to your posterity, generations after you die. We've been talking about life insurances, the reality of our mortality. I mean, there are a lot of churches who preach what I call, well, most preach the truth, but I challenge pastors, is it a relevant truth? Does it touch me where I'm at, who I'm married to, want to be married to, paying my bills, raising my children? So. People ask the success of our ministry, it's the favor of God, but I think it's the fact that we've tried to always be relevant. Mm -hmm. Relationship stuff, finance stuff, faith, prayer, Holy Spirit, talk to me where I live. I picked up on that, mm. what I heard yesterday. <laughs> you bring um, current events into it as well. Absolutely. You were talking about the wall. You yes. were talking, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what time people will be jumping in and where we'll be with yes. that topic. But the point is, you're not, you take on everything. You can. Well, again, predominantly in the African-American church, pastors have to be prophetic. And when I say prophetic, it's not telling me what the weather's going to be tomorrow. But we believe prophetic preaching afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. Wow. It afflicts the comfortable and comforts the afflicted. So, again, while Everyone people... Everyone should press pause for a moment and stuff. take that. That is very good stuff. <laughs> that's prophetic yeah. preaching. It, yeah. it, it, those of us that are comfortable and can pay our bills and live in a nice home, we should be pushed to do more for the poor. Mm -hmm. And then persons who have nothing, good preaching should comfort them. So... Yes, I take major issue with persons using political posturing while nearly a million people can't get a paycheck. You're not going to convince me that was the best way to solve this issue by, to me, capitulating to your base while persons who need to pay their house note can't. You're just mm -hmm. not going to convince me of that. There was a better way to go about this than to allow a few loud voices from the extreme right to cause you to make a decision that impacts a million people's paychecks. So in the black community, particularly in the black church, we've always had the tradition all the way back to the AME church that we're going to preach about social issues that impact our community. Now the message is Christ. Uh, beautiful whites come to our church, particularly our African, our Akron campus. There are probably more whites there than any of our other campuses. I call it my, my heaven church because heaven's going to be filled with all colors. Mm -hmm. uh, but even they know I'm going to talk about issues that relate to the black community and the marginalized and those that are hurting. I have to. And people are very moved. I saw people in tears mm, toward the end. Praise God. What are you tapping into there? Well, the bigger question would be, what is God tapping into? Okay. If I do it right, the Holy Spirit is ministering and... Uh, when you speak to people where they are, those mm -hmm. tears are tears of joy and 
tears of adoration, uh, tears of contemplation, what God wants to do in their life. Uh, I think real preaching should invoke that kind of emotive response where you feel God. I think, and I tell people, I went to school for eight years to learn the Bible, uh, but there's a difference between school and church. Uh, in school, I learn, uh, but in church, I also want to feel. Mm -hmm. I want to learn something. I want to feel something. If I just want to learn, I'll go to seminary only. But I go to church, particularly, again, in the black church tradition, we want to feel church. And so those tears, those shouts, I think I love it all. <laughs> so I want to understand how you got to this point, to be who mm -hmm. you are. Mm -hmm. Let's go back to the beginning. You grew yes. up in the Kinsman neighborhood Yes. in Cleveland. I grew up there. I grew up in the Corlett area. I can tell you three or four places, but primarily okay. I like to claim uh, the 40th area. Uh, that's where my mother lived, but I lived different places. My mother was young when she had me. So we lived different places based on what was happening with her. She was okay. fighting her way back to normalcy in many, many areas of her life. And so I lived all over Cleveland, primarily uh, some of my best memories with friends and things of that nature are from the projects of Cleveland. Mm -hmm. And so from there, uh, I just kind of fell in love with Jesus at 15 years old. Uh, it's not a story that would make you cry. I didn't get caught selling drugs or, you know, no one was pregnant. My wife is the only woman I've ever loved, been in love with. Uh, the Lord just got a hold to me at 15 years old. Was your mom taking you to church then? No, no, no. I would call the church bus to pick me up. Okay. Uh, I was in love with Jesus at 15. Uh, something touched me. I went to church with my uncle. Uh, they had caught me stealing something at Strongsville Mall. I love to tell this story. Uh, about 15 black guys catch the rapid to a primarily white mall uh, with the intention of stealing, not thinking somebody's going to watch us. <laughs> I think by the time we got there, the Army, the FBI, and CIA were at the mall. Uh, it's the best thing ever happened to me. Um, I was stealing some clothes and thinking I'm getting away with it, and something got caught on my uh, caught on my jacket. Something I wasn't trying to steal got caught on my jacket. And they pulled me and grabbed me and said, you stole this. I said, I did not steal that. I stole this. Okay. <laughs> Which was so funny to me. Uh, but the Lord used that. My uncle came and picked me up, uh, took me to church with him. I'm 15 years old. Uh, and from that day to now, I haven't looked back. So God uses those places in your life that you have no idea of. Sometimes the best thing God can do is knock you down to make you look up. And I'm glad he caught me at 15. Uh, it saved me a lot of headache, a lot of pain. Uh, I've been walking with him ever since. I suppose this is a story you shared before. Absolutely. Do, do people know this about People who know you know this. Mm -hmm. But those of us who are new to you, yes. this is instructive. Well, shameless plug, I wrote a book called The Blessing Behind Closed Doors. Okay. Uh, that's on our website, victorymp.com, along okay. with all of my other works. Uh, but I talk about my life and my sort of autobiographical sketch mm -hmm. in terms of how I got to where I'm at. And so. I did do my research, so yes. you know. I guess there was another layer I could have gone to, Please but do. Um, and I and I will. Uh, and there is a book that I I want to pursue. Um, but first, to to keep this sort of 
sequential, yes. chronological. Um, so the fi- at age 15, mm-hmm. it, it's en- you know, the, the church is entering your world. And um, what was high school like? What, what happened? Did you have siblings also? Yes, I have, I have two sisters, of course, that I grew up with. My father got remarried and had another uh, two children. Mm-hmm. And so I have now three sisters and one brother. Uh, and high school, again, around 11th grade is when uh, I fell in love with Jesus. So I'm taking my Bible to East Tech High School and trying to get the whole the whole school saved and coming to church. And everybody's <laughs> wondering what's going on with Ray. Because uh, one day I'm sort of running around with everybody. The next day uh, I'm carrying my Bible to each class. Uh, and those who graduated with me can witness that. So I was a decent student. I was so focused on God, I look back, I should have been more focused at times on grades. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I graduated uh, with a, a C average, BC average, wasn't the greatest student. But you must have been a reader. You Love must, reading, always were, have. What were you reading back then, whatever, besides the Bible? <laughs> whatever, well, I can't say I was reading so much, a lot of different books, but I've just always loved reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, once I fell in love with God, it was primarily the Bible. And of course, once I went to seminary, uh, well, now I'm reading everything. You know, you're reading James Cone, you're reading all the, you know, Tillich and all the German scholars, and I read everything now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but back then, no, I didn't really know what to read as much as I do now. But I've always loved reading, yes. Yes. Do you remember your first experience being a pastor? Or at least being in the ministry. Well, to this day, mm-hmm. and this is a big statement, with the exception of the birth of my children, the happiest day of my life was the day that the first church I pastored officially made me their pastor. Uh, I'll never forget it. Which church was that? This was Second Tabernacle Baptist Church here in Cleveland, Ohio. It was a traditional Baptist church. I'm about 27 years old, and all I've ever wanted to be as a pastor. Let's be clear. When people see you, uh, this is not about mega church or mega money or mega anything. I did not know about mega churches. Uh, when I decided to be a pastor, it was the equivalent of wanting to be a school teacher. Uh, you had to love it because there wasn't much money in it. Most of the churches I knew in Cleveland had a couple hundred people at best, so you cannot ultimately long for, watch this, what you haven't been exposed to. So I didn't see mega churches in Cleveland back then. I didn't know if you had a couple hundred members, you were you were big. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want anything. I hope maybe they would help me with my rent and maybe give me a car and maybe a decent salary. That's all I ever wanted. I didn't I didn't know all this was coming. So all I ever wanted to be was a pastor. So I find out about this church on Union Avenue that's vacant, and somebody tells me they're looking for a pastor. I put an application in. Uh, to go and they invite me to come preach once and they like what they heard I what, guess. What did they hear that first that first sermon? I preached well I don't remember the first one. I remember the second one was okay. Easter Sunday they invited me back and I preached. That's big! Yes well that's when I kind of knew they were kind of liking me. Okay. Uh, I go back on Easter Sunday I preached the young and the restless from the prodigal son. Mm-hmm. how the prodigal son was restless and young and left the love and covering of his father and went into a far country and how ultimately when he came to a census he went back home mm-hmm. and the premise was how God will always take you back 
and you can come back home in the love of the Father. And all of us have went into a far country and made mistakes in our life. And from there, they have a church vote, and I'll never forget it. I'm at home with my son, and I get a phone call. One of the persons in the meeting had snuck downstairs to the phone and said, you're going to get a phone call, but I'm calling to tell you, you are a new pastor. Mm -hmm. I said, wow. thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I hung up the phone. I said, oh! <laughs> I was, I didn't let them know. Yeah. But that was, it was the affirmation. I don't know if you can understand wanting something more than life itself. I wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to love people. I had been preaching at different ministries. I was the hot youth pastor, so I would do all the youth days and go around from church to church. And then I started saying, I want my own congregation. I want a group of people to feed and love. And so for me, it was like LeBron winning the championship. Mm -hmm. That kind of equivalent. I'm not exaggerating. It was like going to the Super Bowl after being in the NFL 19 years. So that was the culmination of everything I wanted to be. And so when they picked me to be their pastor, that, that was the best day of my life, hmm. with the exception of my children. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just have to, there's a reason I'm asking this question. I'm going somewhere with this. Do. When you, this was back in the 70s, you're talking about when you gave that The Young and the Restless. No, 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 no. No, I'm not that old. No, I don't. I don't I'm sorry. <laughs> this was actually uh, 2000. Oh, okay. 2000 I, when they, uh, 1999 actually. 1999 okay. is when they picked me. I started preaching 1994. Okay. So you uh, came up in the 80s. I came up in the 80s. Se 70s, 80s. It was 70s, 80s. I was yeah. born in 1971. I'm 47. Okay. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, sorry about that. So the reason why I asked that is there was a soap opera called The Young and the Restless. Absolutely. Did you, so this, I'm going somewhere with this. I so, stole it from that. And see, this is part of your magic. And this, I'm going to connect all the dots here. <laughs> when you say um, rel, you want to be relevant mm -hmm. and you also want to be relatable. Yes. And I'm thinking now part of your, your uh, game plan there was to cover two bases at once. You're drawing in the religion, but you're also drawing in pop culture. And now people are plugging in fully. Well, maybe. you said you tuned in on yesterday. Yeah. Uh, the name of the series I'm currently in is a series called Living My Best Life. Yes. Well, that's a hot secular song that has a couple lyrics I don't agree with. Okay. How do I then take that and say, now, what really is living your best life? Which artist is there? Does uh, that Snoop Dogg okay. is on there, along okay. with another artist. Uh, mm -hmm. But the song is called Living My Best Life. Mm -hmm. It went to number one. And I kept hearing people saying, man, I'm living my best life. Or even my children, person would say it. I said, okay, that's a great hook. Mm -hmm. to start the year with. You also heard me preach yesterday, the title of my sermon was Keep It 100. Well, a lot of people are saying in terms of being honest, man, keep it 100. In other words, that's sort of colloquial for tell me the truth. I don't lie. Keep it 100. Be honest. It's really saying be 100% honest. So I'm looking at the Bible and the Bible says, Jesus said any man who gives up, who gives up mother or father or anything for me I'll give him a hundred times more in this life and the world to come. Well, now I see 100. Wow. So keep it 100. And the young people are saying, wait a minute, living my best life, keep it 100. I think I'll pay attention to this sermon. So I, I use that. this idea yeah. of use a popular subject 
and then draw them into the truth. Mm -hmm. It's very smart. Um, well, along that channel, I could say, um, one of your books is Dr. R.A. Vernon's 10 Rules of Dating mm. in the Social Media Age. Mm. So please tell us about that one. Well, it's actually kind of the sequel to the first book I wrote. The first book was The Ten Rules of Dating. Mm -hmm. uh, it took me all over the country. Uh, and then it dawned on me that when I wrote the initial work, there was no social media. Mm -hmm. So now dating has completely changed just mm -hmm. in seven to eight years. The first one literally took me all across. I did a tour. I probably did it 70 cities uh, across America. And when social media hit and I'm finding members that are meeting each other on social media sites and dating sites, I'm like, wait a minute, I got to do this again. So the 10 rules did not change. I still believe in the same 10 rules. But now in light of social media, how do you apply them? Uh, just to really quickly, yes. rule number one, yes, there must was... be physical attraction. Okay. Now, as a pastor, you expect me to say rule number one is they must love Jesus. Mm -hmm. I've been pastoring 20 years. I'm a man. I'm married. I don't agree with that. Mm -hmm. Rule number one is there must be physical attraction, particularly for a man. Mm -hmm. Because if I'm going to sleep with you the rest of my life, I need to like you. Mm -hmm. I need to like sleeping with you. Mm -hmm. uh, even in the Bible, the Bible says, and Jacob saw Rachel and thought that she was beautiful. Now this is not superficial. We're not talking about big or small or light or black or white. We're talking about what you like. Mm -hmm. Don't marry me and then commit adultery and watch pornography mm -hmm. because I'm not what you want. Mm -hmm. If you like them tall and dark, don't marry somebody short and light because you like what you like. Mm -hmm. And so I'm very honest. So that grabs people right away because I'm saying even though this is a Christian book, here, here's the dilemma I saw. All the books I read on dating that were secular didn't have enough God in them. Mm -hmm. All the Christian dating books to me weren't raw enough. Okay. So okay. I wanted to split the difference and say, mm -hmm. now there's a Christian base, but I'm giving you real stuff. Rule number two, in my opinion, to the Christian person, they must love God because I love God. And how are we going to work? We believe that God is He's the creator of marriage, and without God, it doesn't work. Rule number three, there must be connectivity and compatibility. Compatibility. You might be cute, but you might not be smart. <laughs> and as much as I like you, I read too much to marry somebody dumb. <laughs> if Now, watch this. Connectivity and compatibility mean this. Two people who don't read at all and don't think at all would be perfect for each other. Right. They can just watch TV all day. Right. You got the remote? Sure, give me the remote. There's nothing to discuss. Right. But if I'm brilliant, if I'm reading Shakespeare, if I'm reading Plato, if I'm reading James Cone, Hamlet, James Baldwin, and the deepest thing you've read is ESPN the magazine, mm -hmm. we might not make it. <laughs> so that's just tidbits of, of what I mean by these rules. And as you can see, uh, out of all of my books by far, that's the one we can't keep on the shelf. <laughs> yeah. It's exciting. Now, what about um, your wife, since you're touching on this? She's mm -hmm. become very involved. Absolutely. With... She's right there. Hey, pretty right. lady. Hey, baby. She's, she's right, right outside our studio. <laughs> she's, yes. she's by your side, it sounds like, for Absolutely. She's she's wonderful. Uh, our church absolutely adores her. So they call her Lady Vernon, which is sort of short for First Lady. Okay. Uh, so that's why they call her Lady well, Vernon. Well, she in, uh, in she's in your Sunday services. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, we do five services a weekend, and she's in all five with me. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes she'll stay after one service and hug everybody. 
while they race me to the next campus. So we're like Batman and Robin. Uh, we're working this thing together, making love, sharing love, feeding the poor together, raising our children together. Uh, yeah. we, we really enjoy Your being team. married. Oh, yes. Yeah. I need her. I need her. And you have five children? Five children. How old are they? They are everything from 28 to 8. So we've had them uh, all across the spectrum. Uh -huh. yep. And are any of them interested in becoming involved with the church? Absolutely. Every one of them. Uh, all of my children are at church every Sunday. Uh, praise God. Not perfect now. I'm not one of those pastors who make my children perfect. Uh, one of my sons is already a minister, uh, Ray, my namesake, Ari Brennan III. Uh, he kind of caught my bug. So at 14, 15, he's giving up football and giving up everything, saying, Dad, I want to be with you. So we didn't see that coming, but we thank God for it. I never forced it. It was like, would you homeschool me because I want to travel with you. I want to go where you go. I want to do what you do. I'm like, are you sure? There's better ways to do this. As long as you love God, you don't have to be a pastor. And uh, he has the bug, though. Uh, my daughter, Shanae, she's over uh, teen ministry. Uh, and so she helps me run that. She's full-time at the church. Uh, and then my son, Ralph, is doing all the dancing on the stage. He's in children's ministry and teen ministry. And my little girl, she's only eight, and she doesn't want to miss worship. So uh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. My children are not perfect. Let's be very clear. Who uh, is perfect? None. No, none of us are perfect. Uh, they've made mistakes and they'll make more. Mm -hmm. But uh, they do enjoy coming every week. And you're also a mentor to other pastors. That's yes. a big part of what you do. Yes. There's a, a Shepherd's Connection. It's called the Shepherd's Connection. It is my ministry for senior pastors across the country. Something happened in my mid-30s pastors just start migrating to Cleveland. They would watch us on television saying, you're my pastor. I want to learn from you. And I'm like, okay. So it was very organic. Mm -hmm. They start coming to Cleveland. Here it is on his anniversary. Uh, his wife says, where do you want to go? And instead of California, Hawaii, he says, let's go to Cleveland and meet Pastor Lady Vernon. So we're like, whoa. Mm -hmm. uh, so from there, we decided to to start a ministry for pastors. So my wife and I take phone calls from pastors from California, uh, Detroit, Chicago, all day long. How are they hearing about you? Well, they watch us on television. But how did they hear about that? Well, you know, a lot of pastors watch Christian television. Okay. Or they'll go on social media and mm -hmm. follow their favorite pastor on YouTube. So and it just so became viral somehow. It just sort of, yeah. I mean, this was even pre-social media. Just coming on national television, a lot of pastors would tune in and watch us on Christian television and just say, man, I like the way you help people. Mm -hmm. uh, but Cleveland to be such sort of a cold city and dealing with poverty and the way you love that city. Mm -hmm. I want to love my city that way, mm -hmm. which I thought was just so humble. It was so humbling. And so we now, yeah, pray for us because we did not know that this is kind of like having another church because uh, pastors and their spouses have problems. They have issues. And who does the pastor call when he's overwhelmed? Who does the first lady call when pastor's getting on her nerves? Because you never vent down in ministry. You vent up. Okay. That's like you telling your children, we can't pay the bills this month. They don't want to know that. Your job is to go up. You don't want to vent down. 
So the pastor is never to go to his members and say, pray for my wife and I, we're struggling. Well, heck, if you're struggling, what chance do we have? So you need a place to vent because you're human, but you always vent up in ministry, never down. I would never go to a member of the Word Church and talk about the problems I'm having. They don't come to church for that. They come to church for me to help them with their problems. So as, as a pastor who pastors pastors, I become a soft place for them to land. If he's struggling with pornography, if he's struggling with communication, he can call me and get no judgment. I can help him get up, and if I save him, I save his whole city from tragedy or embarrassment, which is important to me. And, okay, I just want to have you comment along this line uh, on something mm -hmm. you have on your website, which I thought was interesting. You say, as far as uh, mentoring pastors, through his bold, frank delivery of the Word of God, this is referring to you, he crusades to free other church leaders from the fetters of foundationless formality. Mm. That's a, quite a potent statement. That's just cute language yeah. <laughs> uh, from... Uh, our best writers in our ministry, but it, it does bespeak the idea uh, to succinctly sum that up, mm -hmm. to not do church the way people always have done it. Okay. It doesn't work. Your mm -hmm. church will be empty. The average church in America has less than 100 people in it, and that's getting smaller. In light of social media, in light of technology, you have about three minutes not to be boring when you start preaching, <laughs> or even grandma will be looking at her phone while you're preaching. Mm -hmm. Things have changed. You have about three minutes to make your church relevant. Why would I get up in Cleveland, Ohio on a frigid Sunday morning mm -hmm. with limited gas in my tank, drive to a place on one of my two days off to sit in a place and listen to you when I can go online, I can cut my television on? You better make your church relevant. It better feel good. The worship needs to be relevant. It can't be, we like to say at our church, it's not about clothes, it's about souls. So this is about what I'm going to have on every Sunday. A, a jogging suit, it doesn't matter. We ask one thing, dress respectfully. Ladies, don't show your shape. Men are still men, even at church. But wear whatever you want. There's no dress code in our church. It's not too long. There's going to be singing, then me, then we're leaving. Uh, we're not going to have you there three hours. Uh, it's relevant to young people. The sermon will speak to you where you are. Teen ministry, where I drop my child off. Uh, everything has to be relevant. The message never changes, but methods do. The message is Jesus Christ and his resurrection, his crucifixion, his ascension, his return. But the method, some churches you walk in, you still think you're in the 17th century. From the way it's made mm -hmm. <laughs> to the service, and you're like, I'm a Christian, and this is boring to me. Yeah. No, what? you're not doing anything close to that. You've got screens in the background. Oh, wow. You've got live musicians. Yeah. You picked all that up. I did. You must have watched on the website. I did. Yes. I, was, I was extremely <laughs> impressed. It's yes. tremendous what you're doing. Yes. Really come, tremendous. Come visit us in person. We love to have you. Okay. Yes. All right. Well, listen, thank you so much for being our guest, for sharing you. all your wisdom. Thank you. And best of luck continuing doing exactly what you're doing. You were. You threw a bunch of softballs to me. You're a great interviewer, so thank <laughs> you. You made it easy.